Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, the UN Security Council passes a resolution calling for humanitarian pauses between Israel and Hamas. Israel Defense Forces reveal a new strategy on battlefield. A brave Israeli service dog discovers who or what is inside the Hamas tunnels. Meanwhile, Israeli troops keeps up the intensity against Hamas as they press on to defeat the terrorist group. Christmas came early for former President Trump. The Supreme Court today rejecting special counsel Jack Smith's request to immediately rule on Trump's immunity claim. Iris Tao has more on how it could upend the former president's legal calendar. Former President Trump is not slowing down. His campaign is hitting city after city in Iowa, urging residents to vote with the goal of winning a large statewide margin. But other GOP candidates have their own goals. Entities Arlene Richards takes a look at their strategies. Illegal immigrants continue flooding the southern border this week. December is reportedly on track to see the most illegal crossings ever. Arian Pazdar brings us a crisis update. Barbie doll photos used as IDs to get COVID relief funds, part of $900 billion in wasteful government spending. That Senator Rand Paul is highlighting in his 2023 Festivus report. This is NTD Evening News, live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany. Humanitarian conditions in Gaza continue to deteriorate as the fighting between Hamas and Israel drags on. But the region expects it will soon get some relief after the United Nations voted to expedite humanitarian aid to Palestinians in Gaza. The U.S. and Russia both abstaining from the vote. A group of Arab nations originally wanted the resolution to demand an end to hostilities. But in an effort to prevent the U.S. from vetoing it, the text was changed at the last minute. Instead of a ceasefire, it calls for humanitarian pauses to allow food, water and fuel to Gaza. The resolution also demands 130 hostages held by Hamas, including Americans, to be released without conditions. Even though the U.S. abstained from voting for it, the Biden administration still allowed the resolution to pass. Israel Defense Forces have ordered another evacuation, this time in central Gaza. And the IDF is trying a new strategy on the battlefield. A trained service dog goes alone to see who or what is inside the Hamas terrorist tunnels. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest. An Israeli soldier fired his rifle at what appears to be a terrorist on the top of this building. And if that didn't get him, it appears this tank did. Israel's defense minister had this to say about the war on Friday. In the northern Gaza Strip, the operation is gradually completing the goals we set, the dismantling of the Hamas battalions and the denial of underground capabilities. And the IDF recently got help from a brave service dog to see who or what was inside one of these underground terrorist tunnels. It climbed over these sandbags with ease, discovering an electrical box, and it even rummaged through parts of the tunnel that had been destroyed. 
Israel's defense minister also reiterated Israel's three goals in its war against Hamas. First of all, the elimination of the terrorist organization Hamas, the denial of its military and government capabilities, and the return of the abductees to Israel. And sadly, not all of the hostages will make it home alive. This 73-year-old American-Israeli hostage, Gadi Haggai, who was held hostage by Hamas, has reportedly died in captivity. A group representing hostages' families announced the news in a statement on Friday. And sadly, Haggai's wife is still being held captive by Hamas terrorists. Meanwhile, the IDF recently ordered residents in central Gaza to evacuate south to Deir al-Bala for their own safety. Where do we go? There's not an area left that hasn't been bombed. Our homes have been bombed. Everyone is fleeing, as you can see. Where do we go? Meanwhile, with Christmas right around the corner, Bethlehem is normally a festive site with tourists from around the world. But this year, the streets are empty. However, in Jerusalem, the municipality handed out Christmas trees to residents, some even walking away with more than one. In these difficult times, we need to have peace, to live together and to have peace to everybody. I wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Meanwhile, an Israeli military official said on Friday that over 50,000 tons of food have entered the Gaza Strip in the past two months. And he said there will be no shortage of food in Gaza in the near future. Jason Perry, NTD News. A major victory for Trump, seeking to push his trial back to after the elections. The Supreme Court today rejecting a request to expedite its review of Trump's presidential immunity claim, dealing a blow to special counsel Jack Smith. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Howe brings us this report from in front of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's Friday order has only one sentence and it's a very straight and simple denial of special counsel Jack Smith's request for the Supreme Court to immediately jump in and circumvent the lower appellate court to decide on whether former President Trump has presidential immunity as he claims for his actions over the 2020 election. Jack Smith, in asking the high court to do this to immediately jump in, argues that it's an important constitutional question that demands an immediate decision. Meanwhile, he also says that it's a prevent any delays to Trump's trial, which is scheduled for March 4th, 2024. Trump, meanwhile, has been decrying election interference over this originally scheduled trial date, which is a day before Super Tuesday. His team also this week accused Jack Smith of trying to rush to decide on issues with, quote, reckless abandon. And now with the order today, it means that the case will now go through the normal appealing process through the D.C. Circuit Appellate Court with order arguments scheduled for January 19th. And no matter which side wins in the lower court, we can expect either side to appeal to the Supreme Court, which will then have to decide on this issue, though, after getting the input from the lower court. And that means that the case will now stretch into the summer of 2024, if not even later. And that is exactly what Trump's team would like to see. 
And when it comes to the impact on the 2024 presidential election, we know that a New York Times poll shows that over 80% of Trump supporters say that they agree that the charges against Trump right now are actually politically motivated. But over a quarter of them also say that if Trump's actually convicted, they might not support Trump anymore as a Republican presidential nominee. So it really highlights the importance of Trump's team strategies here in trying to delay his trials and also means that today's order could help Trump in the 2024 presidential election. And let's not forget that Trump's team could file an appeal anytime now against the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling to remove him from the state's ballot. So all eyes are now on the Supreme Court as we enter this Christmas week. Back to you. Six times in less than a month, the former president is lining up his campaign blitz in Iowa. He's visited the state four times this month. Now he's planning two more appearances on the same day. NTD's Arlene Richards has Trump's schedule and the latest on his challengers. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's crunch time in Iowa. That's why the Republican candidates for president have been ramping up their campaigning. Former President Trump has scheduled a double header. He's planning to make two appearances in northern Iowa on January 5th. First stop, Sioux Center, a small city of about 8,500 people. Then he will head across the state to Mason City, population 27,000. The goal, a commitment to caucus. Attendees are asked to fill out a non-binding pledge to go to their local caucus and vote for the former president. Trump's advisors have said he's fighting complacency among supporters who may feel too comfortable with his breakaway lead in the polls. Sometimes when you're leading by a lot, everyone says, oh, why should I go and vote? The margin of victory is so important. Winning by a large statewide margin is important for Trump's presidential run. It would solidify his position as the Republican front-runner and validate his commanding lead in the polls. But his Republican challengers have their own strategies. Governor Ron DeSantis has switched to focusing on his ground game. His leading super PAC, Never Back Down, has pulled all ads in Iowa and New Hampshire totaling about $2.5 million. A separate group is continuing to focus on ads, but so far they haven't managed to narrow the gap with Trump. In an interview on the Christian Broadcasting Network, DeSantis admitted that Trump could win the primary, but he said he doesn't believe the polls are accurate. If he could have one big change, it would be this. I wish Trump hadn't been indicted on any of this stuff, but then it also is just crowded out, I think, so much other stuff, and it sucked out a lot of oxygen. He said Trump's legal cases have distorted the primary election. DeSantis is still in a fight to keep second place in Iowa. He and Nikki Haley will make back-to-back -back appearances in two CNN presidential town halls on January 4th. Both candidates are expected to then participate in a CNN debate on January 10th. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy haven't met the qualifications. They need to get at least 10 percent in three separate national and or Iowa polls. Meanwhile, Haley appears to be closing in on Trump in New Hampshire. According to a December survey by American Research Group, Haley is now only four points behind Trump. New Hampshire's Republican voters still prefer Trump at 33 percent, but many prefer Haley, too. Arlene Richards, NTD News. We're reportedly seeing more people enter the U.S. illegally this month than ever before. Mexico's president now says he'll assist the U.S. in tackling the immigration crisis. NTD's Arian Pastor has an update on the border crisis. More people are entering the United States illegally this week. 
Fox News on Friday published this video of African men arriving at the southern border, saying only two border agents were on the scene to process all of the people you see here. CBP tells the outlet that there have been 45,000 encounters at the border since Monday. Able to fill Yankee Stadium in just four days, Monday was the highest day of encounters ever recorded, with 12,600. December is on pace to become the highest month ever. Many say they're heading for sanctuary cities. New York. New York. Chicago. 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 Mexico's president on Friday acknowledged the situation is getting worse. We will boost as much as we can to help maintain an orderly flow of migrants. Recently, there was an abnormal surge of migrants. He now says he'll step up efforts on Mexico's southern border with Guatemala and seek agreements to manage higher numbers of immigrants attempting to enter the U.S. Meanwhile, Texas is now reportedly adding anti-climbing technology to its fences in Brownsville. That's by erecting 12-foot-tall fences laced with three feet of concertina wire. This comes just days after a court temporarily prohibited the federal government from removing the state's razor wires. And lastly, in New York City, the United Federation of Teachers is suing Mayor Eric Adams. Back in November, Adams warned of budget cuts for city services. It's going to, it's going to be extremely painful for New Yorkers, and that is why we continue to say we need help. The mayor now wants to cut half a billion dollars from education in order to deal with the influx of illegal immigrants. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. $900 billion of government waste. This, according to Senator Rand Paul's annual Festivus report. Notable items, $170 million in ruined military gear, $33 million for a monkey colony, and $2.7 million to study cats on treadmills. NTD's Emma Shi has more. Senator Rand Paul's annual Festivus report highlights $900 billion in what it calls government waste. Notable items, Barbie doll photos used as ID to get covert relief funds. The AI system thought they were real people. $200 million given to famous music artists during COVID. $2.7 million to study Russian cats running on a treadmill. The most egregious circumstance is our quantification of the, of the 20 largest federal agencies they admit to. $236 billion worth of mistakes and improper payments last year. Adam Andrzejewski is the founder of OpenTheBooks.com, a nonprofit dedicated to auditing government spending. Senator Paul put two items from Open the Books in his Festivus report, one being $236 billion worth of improper federal payments, the other being $3.8 million sent to the University of Pennsylvania to investigate COVID misinformation. Andrzejewski says stopping Congress from bankrupting the country starts with local governments. We need to start where we live and reform our school districts, our municipalities, our townships, our counties. If we start there, eventually the movement will hit Washington, D.C. and will preserve the greatest nation ever conceived in the history of the world. Other notable items, the government paid $38 million to dead people. $89 million worth of military vehicle engines improperly stored outdoors for three years. This rendered the engines useless. $12.6 million worth of hydraulic transmissions also improperly stored outside, ruined. $68 million worth of tank treads also left outside, also ruined. And $6 million to boost tourism to Egypt. Paul says Congress has spent over $100 million on Egyptian tourism so far. Emma Shi, NTD News. Coming up, as holiday travel shifts into high gear, 
Airports across the United States now bracing for a record-breaking Christmas rush, but questions remain over how smoothly things will go this year. Sam Wong reports. Need some last-minute shopping or a bite to eat on Christmas Day? Christina Corona tells us which stores will remain open. And colorful lights decorate homes and trees, but some homeowners like to go the extra mile. Helen Billings brings us a closer look at some holiday light displays in California. That and more when we come back. Welcome back. Tis the season for holiday travel. As millions of Americans now take to the skies, airports across the country are racing for what looks like the busiest holiday travel season in years. NTD Sam Wong has the latest details. Another year, another Christmas season, with travelers from around the country now embarking on their journeys, major airlines are gearing up for a blockbuster holiday rush. And on Friday alone, the Transportation Security Administration predicts that more than 2.5 million people are flying out. Hi, we're uh, going to Bolivia for the holidays, yes. Okay. I'm heading back to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. That's where my uh, family lives. Yeah, I'm traveling with my husband and my son and his fiance are meeting us here, and then we have others coming in from three different airports. So. Hopefully we all get to Miami. For millions of Americans who are working away from their families, a smooth flight home lays the foundation for a happy, loving Christmas. And that goal seems promising so far this year, as major airlines have hired more flight crews and other workers to deal with the crowds. They're seeking to avoid a major meltdown like the one last year, when Southwest Airlines canceled thousands of flights, leaving two million people stranded during Christmas. The Department of Transportation now warning that bad weather could be a major roadblock to your itinerary. Even though there's a lot of weather on the West Coast, a lot of rain right now, those flights seem to be okay so far. I'm not personally concerned. Uh, if I get stuck there on the way back, I'm able to work from home. Hopefully we're getting out. It's saying I'm on time at the moment. Plan B is hope that something gets out later, but so far we're looking good. So far in 2023, only 1.2% of U.S. flights have been canceled, marking the lowest in five years. To keep the screening line moving swiftly, the TSA is urging travelers to get to the airport early and be sure to protect those Christmas gifts. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wong, NTD News. As much as we want to spend Christmas Day opening presents under the tree and enjoying time with loved ones, sometimes we have to run out for a last-minute stocking stuffer or even a bite to eat. NTD's Christina Corona tells us which businesses will be open on Christmas Day. We're here at Albertsons, which is one of many stores that will be open on Christmas. In an effort to save you time, driving from store to store only to find your favorites closed, we rounded up all the stores open on Christmas Day. Stores that are open on Christmas Day are Acme, Albertsons, Bravo Supermarkets, Casey's General Store, Circle K, Cumberland Farms, which in the past they offered free coffee and other hot beverages to all customers on Christmas morning, CVS, Dwayne Reed, Giant, Quick Check, some Safeway stores, Starbucks, Walgreens, Wawa, and 7-Eleven. Restaurants open on Christmas Day include Benihana, Chart House, Denny's, Domino's, Duncan, Fogo de Chao, IHOP, Luby's, McDonald's, and STK Steakhouse. Many businesses and restaurants will have reduced hours on December 25th, so be sure to call ahead to confirm your local store hours. 
Whether you're last minute shopping for those final touches or choosing to stay inside, may you have a safe, joyful, and festive holiday. Christina Corona, NTD News, Arcadia. Whether you're giving or receiving a gift card this holiday season, listen up. Check carefully to make sure you're not falling for a scam. The Better Business Bureau is warning that gift card scams are surging. Here's more on how you can protect yourself. They're a popular holiday gift idea, but scammers are increasingly targeting gift cards to steal from you. Gift card scam reports are up 50% for 2023 over 2022, and we're not even done with the year yet. The Better Business Bureau is reporting a surge in gift card scams, warning that scammers could be tampering with gift cards and stealing barcodes, or targeting online shoppers and asking them to pay with a gift card that's not from the retailer. That's a huge red flag. There's a lot of scams that are perpetrated where the, the scammer is asking for a gift card, such as like a grandparent scam or a utility scam. The BBB also warns consumers that scammers use other tactics to steal from them too. Before you buy a gift card, here's what to look out for to avoid becoming a victim. One, check for stickers covering the barcode by rubbing your finger over the back of the physical card. The stickers may contain a phony barcode, and when it gets scanned at checkout, you'll unwittingly be sending that cash to the scammer's account. Two, be careful of websites that check your card's balance. The BBB says some sites could use your card's ID number and PIN and drain money from it. When you buy a gift card and you give that number and that pin to somebody, that money's gone. So it's really important to know who you're giving it to and what they're going to use it for. And finally, check for ripped or wrinkled packaging. The BBB says thieves often remove gift cards from the display rack and record the numbers linked to that card, including the activation pin. Many people enjoy the tradition uh, during Christmas of decorating a tree, hanging stockings over the fireplace, and putting Christmas lights on their homes. But some homeowners like to go the extra mile. NTD's Helen Billings shows us around some of California's neighborhoods. Tis the season for homeowners to spend many hours decorating their houses into glowing works of Christmas joy. From the reindeer on the roof to the inflatable snowman in the yard, the process starts in September for Terry Perez in Danville, California. She repairs her own lights and is known as the Christmas Lights Lady. Her display is 100% LED. She said her electric bill increases about $400 for the holiday season. It, it truly is a big commitment, but uh, it, it's when you see the looks on everybody's faces and you see the parents dancing in the snow as well as the kids, um, there, it's priceless. There's just not a price you can put on it. Uh, you know, it's just incomparable to anything else, truly. Perez's house is listed on the website CaliforniaChristmasLights.com, which keeps a list of houses that shine the brightest and has helped her to gain some local popularity. So I'd say like Friday and Saturday night, we could have easily had 200 people. And um, I keep count of the way I keep count is we give these candy canes out to the children every night. And so I know how many candy canes I've gotten. Terry said she loves Christmas and has always put up lights, but it was her grandchildren that inspired her to go for the wow factor. It's really wonderful if you go out there and listen to everybody talking, you know, and they're just like, is this your house? And I'd say, yeah. And they'd go, oh, it's magical. And it sounds funny for me to say, but, you know, that's what they say. And, and just... It gives you more strength to do it again, right? 
Further up north in the city of Concord, Cindy Bruno said she does it for the love of Christmas, and her husband John dresses up as Santa for the visitors. It was just something that started little, and as our kids, we have four kids, as they got older, they helped it grow, and we've just grown it every year. Added something new every year, sometimes more than one thing. But, yep, it's just, and we love it brings joy to everybody, and it can make your saddest day happy. <laughs> Just looking at all the lights. Holiday decorations wouldn't be complete without the nativity scene. John Bruno has a tradition of singing a song in Italian when he places a baby Jesus in the manger. Wishing you a Merry Christmas. NTD News, Helen Billings, California. Coming up, what should we make of the UN's resolution calling for humanitarian aid to Gaza? A rabbi explains why it's unlikely to help those actually in need. And how is the Biden administration responding to the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea? Our guest explains why the U.S. is sending the wrong message. That and more after the break here on NTD News. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. The United Nations passes a resolution to expedite humanitarian aid to Gaza. The U.S. abstained from the vote. Meanwhile, a 73-year-old Israeli-American hostage died in Hamas captivity. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected special counsel Jack Smith's request to immediately rule on former President Trump's claim of presidential immunity. This will likely delay Trump's trial in the federal election case. Airports and major airlines are bracing for what looks like the busiest holiday travel season in years. The TSA predicts that more than 2.5 million people are flying out today alone. The UN resolution on aid for Gaza didn't include a call for a ceasefire. What do we make of this resolution and will humanitarian aid for Gaza actually reach civilians in need? I spoke earlier with Rabbi Yaakov Menken, Managing Director at Coalition for Jewish Values. Thanks for joining me here today, Rabbi Yaakov Menken. The UN approving a resolution on aid to Gaza. Now, without call for suspension of hostilities, what was your immediate reaction hearing this? Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, the immediate reaction is that this sounds like it's acceptable language because it, it does not call for cessation of hostilities. The only way to have a sustainable ceasefire is for Hamas to be utterly eradicated. They have broken every ceasefire that ever existed between Hamas in Gaza and Israel, and they have declared that they will do it again. In fact, they will massacre more Jews. So the ceasefire calls that you see around the world are really barbaric in nature. Either they have no idea what's going on, no idea what Hamas is, or they really don't care if there's another massacre like October 7. But why do you think uh, it seems like the UN has not condemned Hamas? Well, that's, that's sort of unfortunately for obvious reasons. They... Uh, there are entirely too many governments there that side with Hamas, that justify what Hamas did. Uh, you know, it, it, it's obviously barbaric and evil to justify mass rapes and beheadings of babies, etc. But people have this curious blind spot, especially in the Arab world, when it comes to Jews. So do you think it was the right move for the U.S. to abstain uh, in the vote for this resolution? 
Well, I understand why they didn't veto it, because humanitarian aid just sounds like too nice a thing. I don't know if you've seen the videos, but unfortunately, what actually happens is those humanitarian aid trucks roll in to Gaza, destined for others, and Hamas fighters immediately leap on top of the trucks and shoot at civilians who dare approach them. So any humanitarian aid that is going into Gaza is going directly into the mouths of Hamas fighters and not into innocent women and children. Think about that for a moment, and you understand how evil it is that those governments around the world are not condemning Hamas and calling for Hamas to lay down its weapons. It's the only way to peace. So if we're sending aid to uh, Gaza, how can we prevent Hamas from taking it? Only with military force. Hamas is jumping on top of the aid trucks, taking all of the aid for themselves, shooting at civilians who come near them. There's enough evidence of this to satisfy anybody. So this is another one of those meaningless UN resolutions that really, at the end of the day, only serve to up and enhance terror. But it's got the right sound, so therefore everybody has to let it go through. And uh, another question, uh, we're hearing reports of the first U.S. citizen hostage killed by Hamas. What can the U.S. do here to rescue uh, remaining U.S. hostages and prevent more deaths like this from happening again in the future? Well, unfortunately, I, I would say it's the first uh, American civilian death that we know about. Uh, there were uh, over a dozen, I think maybe two dozen Americans who were kidnapped into Gaza in the wake of this horrific terror attack. And uh, obviously, uh, they're not being well treated while they're there. Uh, he was apparently critically injured, so it's not really a surprise. What's a surprise is that we know about it, because Hamas is trying to delay any information on the well-being of the hostages from getting out. So all we know is this one individual, and sadly, the only thing that can be done is leave it to the Israelis. You know, obviously there are special efforts being made to rescue those hostages, and there have been pauses in the fighting to allow hostages to be released. But unless Hamas is willing to do that again, unfortunately, the only way to go is to fight until they surrender and give up those hostages. Well, all right, thank you so much today. Thank you for having me. Staying in the Middle East, how are the Houthis able to disrupt international trade going through the Red Sea? And what message is this sending to America's adversaries? Joining us to now to explore, we have Lee Smith, host of Over the Target on Epoch TV. He is also the author of the book, The Strong Horse, Power, Politics, and the Clash of Arab Civilizations. Thanks for joining me here today, Lee Smith. Uh, the U.S.'s response to the Houthi attacks has been called uh, weak by some political and national, national security analysts. Uh, what's your assessment of the U.S.'s response to attacks? And how do you think this response will be interpreted by Iran, which uh, backs the Houthis? Well, I certainly, I certainly agree that it's been a very weak response. Uh, and the main reason for it, of course, is because the Biden administration wants to uh, renew the uh, nuclear deal with Iran. And so the Biden administration is already concerned that Israel is attacking another Iranian asset, um, Hamas, in Gaza. And so the idea that the United States itself would protect itself, as well as protect protecting shipping lanes, this is beyond the pale. 
for the Biden administration, because again, the key foreign policy initiative of the Biden administration is to get back into that nuclear deal. That was the key foreign policy initiative of Barack Obama, and so Biden wants to get back into it. Can you explain for us further, what role is Iran playing in the conflict uh, between Israel and Hamas, and this mm. one extending into the Red Sea and targeting other nations? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, Iran does this. Iran does this uh, in Gaza with Hamas. Iran does it in Lebanon with Hezbollah, and Iran is also doing the same thing with the Houthis uh, in Yemen. And the Houthis, their main, their fight, their main fight is with Saudi Arabia another American ally. So you see what's happening is that throughout the Middle East, Iran has chosen different allies to attack the United States and U.S. allies, whether that's Saudi Arabia or whether that's Israel, both out of Gaza and out of Lebanon. So this is really Iran's picture of the world. Iran is attacking the United States. And let me ask you this, too. We know that Iran and the Chinese Communist Party are allies, right, and work together to undermine the U.S. Is there a role that uh, the CCP could be playing in this? Well, I'm sure the CCP couldn't be unhappy about this, that it has, you know, that it's shaken the world's confidence in the United States' ability to protect shipping lanes. And remember, the United States has been doing this since, uh, since the end of World War II. This is one of the most important things that the United States does. And it's important for the entire world, or certainly for the free world, for, uh, for Europe, for us and our other allies. Um, and, and the idea that the Iranians, through the Houthis, have shaken the world's confidence since the uh, United States is not firing back, that weakens not only America's, uh, not only America's prestige, right? But it also is going to cost other countries, it's going to cost industries a lot more to ship these goods around the world. Anything that's going to hurt the United States strategically like this is a consequential victory for the CCP. What message do you think this is sending to the Chinese Communist Party and the world? Well, I mean, the simple message is, the simple message to the world is, we can't protect the, we will not protect the shipping lanes um, because we have a, uh, we have another chief interest, which is a, a nuclear deal with Iran that guarantees Iran's nuclear uh, weapons program. It doesn't stop it. This is very important to understand. It doesn't stop it. Rather, it makes it legitimate. That's the point of the nuclear deal. So the message, the larger message that the Biden administration is sending to the world is, you think things are bad now in shipping lanes around the world. Wait until Iran, which backs the Houthis, get a nuclear bomb. Then everyone's going to have to be paying off the Iranians and their allies to be able to ship their goods across the world. So it's an insanely destructive message that the Biden administration is sending to the world. It's not just about what's happening now. It's about what will happen when Iran gets the bomb. All right. Thank you very much today, Lee. Thank you, Don. Coming up, children's toys have long surprised the little ones from under the tree. From teddy bears to Barbie dolls, what are some of the most popular toys through the decades? Andrew Thomas explores. And in baseball news, the LA Dodgers have done it again, this time shelling out a record contract for a pitcher. Dave Martin joins us in the studio to discuss when we return.
Welcome back. For kids, there's almost nothing more exciting than opening presents on Christmas morning. From teddy bears to Barbie, children's toys have long surprised little ones under the tree. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the hottest items from last century to today. Can you do it again? This 1920s toy fair would be a fantasy world for many youngsters. A singing bird or a crying doll had never been seen before. Games which rely on imagination have always been popular. Would you like some cake? Yes. The toy tea party allowed kids to pretend like they were sophisticated adults. During both world wars, dolls took on roles of soldiers and field nurses. Model planes became spitfires and toy tanks rolled through European battlefields. Sometimes the simplest and cheapest toys become the hottest new item. The yo-yo fascinated kids worldwide. By the 1960s, the toy industry exploded. Everything from puppets to dolls were so lifelike they could be mistaken for the real thing. Some moved and others talked. Electronic toys also appeared, like this winding toy race car track. Action figures are still popular today. They came dressed in military uniforms and came with scenery for their adventures. Television and films began to create huge demand for toys based on popular characters. As time passed, some toys were as popular with adults as they were with children. Smartphones have almost infinite applications, but today most children see an endless supply of fun games. Few toy makers a century ago could have predicted what today's toys would be like. One toy which has endured for decades is Barbie, more popular now thanks to the Barbie movie. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, some big news this morning. Florida uh, State University will be suing the ACC uh, over the legality of their TV grant of rights as well as the conference's exit fee. Uh, what's behind this? Yeah, they clearly won out of the ACC. This seems to be the first step uh, in behind this. Because if they can't bring their TV grant of rights to their new conference, the TV revenue doesn't come with them, it would stay with the ACC and would make a move completely unfeasible. So this whole thing seems to be about money. Now the ACC has fallen way behind the Big Ten and the SEC in terms of revenue paid to their members. I believe it's almost double. And the ACC is stuck in their TV deal until 2036, which means Florida State is stuck with the ACC until that time because that's when the grant of right expires. Now the conference has tried to please them by financially rewarding teams for their success in football and basketball, but Florida State also wants the TV money to be distributed unevenly based on each school's media value. The league has so far refused that, so I think we're headed toward an ugly ending. Now, no school has ever tried to legally challenge uh, the TV grant of rights agreement, so what's the general consensus about them trying this? Yeah, I mean, it's considered ironclad. These agreements are what hold the major conferences together. If teams leave, they just coincide their exit dates with their end of their grant of rights. I mean, that's the only known way. But if Florida State is successful, I mean, the floodgates would surely open. Now, Florida State is alleging chronic fiduciary mismanagement and bad faith in the way, in the, way the league handled their media rights agreement. Now, maybe it's true, but if it was, though, you know, wouldn't other schools be alleging that as well or joining in this lawsuit? Now, if the ACC hasn't held up their end of the contract, you know, for sure they should be able to get out. But if that's not the case, 
I think the board should consider the example that they're setting for their students here. You know, what would this say about their word in a contract? You know, it's only good until someone else comes along with a better deal or more money. Now, I don't want to single them out in all this. Pretty much every school nowadays chooses money over everything. Uh, but if they willingly sign this, who's really at fault here? Well, let's uh, shift gears now to baseball. Um, the LA Dodgers have reportedly signed another uh, Japanese star player for $325 million. Now, he has been rumored to be meeting with a couple of New York teams. Uh, are you surprised that LA got him instead? I mean, not as surprised as how much money he got. This is a record contract for a pitcher, and he's never even pitched in the big leagues before. Now, the he, that is Yoshinobu Yamamoto, uh, that's who we're talking about. This is a very risky deal. The Dodgers are actually usually very fiscally responsible, so I'm somewhat surprised there. The flip side of that is that he's only 25 years old. Most free agents are late 20s, early 30s, which is a huge difference in baseball years. You know, most players start to decline around that time, so they're getting his prime years. Now, he absolutely dominated in Japan. He won three straight MVP awards. It did surprise me the, the Mets and Yankees didn't get him. You know, maybe having fellow Japanese star Shohei Otani already in the Dodgers helped convince him. But this is why Otani deferred all that money, so the Dodgers could surround him with other star players. So with these two signings, uh, do you see the Dodgers as being the World Series favorites for next year? For sure. And that's even with Otani not being able to able to pitch next season because of his arm injury. You know, the Dodgers, you know, it seems like they're pretty much favorites every year. It remains to be seen, of course, if they'll sign, re-sign Clayton Kershaw. But they've had one of the best records in the league each of the last five years. They've made the playoffs 11 straight years, but they only have one World Series title to show for it. It seems like they should have more. So for whatever reason, they haven't been at their best when it counts the most, you know, October. That's still their final hurdle, if you ask me. Well. Thank you so much for that insight today, Dave. Thanks, Don. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Don Ma. Good night and happy holidays.